you will, and turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans, the second chapter. For those of you that are visiting tonight, we've just recently uh, started a uh, study in the book of Romans on Sunday nights. I say recently, we've been at this a a little over a month already, but uh, um, that's kind of like our study in Matthew. That just started not too long ago either, about three years ago. And we're not going to get done by the end of this year, okay? I kind of looked at that and thought, nope, I'm not going to get it by the end of this year, so we're going to go over into next year with that too. But uh, Romans chapter 2, and tonight we want to look at God's judgment of the hypocrite. God's judgment of the hypocrite. In the last few messages, we've been considering the wrath of Almighty God, as we saw last week. There are multitudes that choose lives of rebellion and disobedience against God, and these people will be held accountable and will feel the full fury of God's wrath against their sin. Now, we could view the book of Romans as a courtroom trial. Uh, Those trial things have become popular in our day, especially with televised trials and and a number of programs that feature stories of lawyers and trials that are involved in, and judges. Uh, daytime uh, has all kinds of judges that are trying to solve people's problems, and of course people do have problems, and I don't know if the judges really solve them or not, but uh, they make for good television anyway. Uh, but uh, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32, we could see there was a great courtroom, and the entire human race was standing trial. Uh, The uh, judge is Almighty God. He weighs all the evidence. He hears all the testimony. He acts with absolute justice. And of course, it is his character that is being holy and just and merciful and righteous and faithful that makes him eligible to be such a judge. Uh, The prosecuting attorney in this case is the Apostle Paul, we could say. The defendants are all the people of the world, and they fall into one of three groups. They're represented by three people that will be, uh, we've looked at one and we're looking at another tonight and uh, another one uh, the next uh, uh, Lord's Day, the Lord willing, but uh, the Mr. Heathenist, uh, Mr. Moralist, and Mr. Religionist. Uh, the witnesses will be creation, conscience, and the scriptures. And the charge is that uh, against the world is that men are guilty of breaking the law of God. And the death penalty is demanded for every individual. Uh, I believe in the death penalty. You know why? Because God does. God does. And so in our study of chapter 1, we no doubt were convinced that all men who live wickedly and grossly immoral lives are responsible for their actions and deserve God's wrath. And no doubt we can say that Mr. Heathenist was found guilty as, as charged. He was found guilty of breaking God's command, God's standards. And yet there are many others who live moral lives. Uh, These are people who are outwardly clean and upright and who are inwardly just as wicked as as their evil counterparts. And so tonight we want to view the, the part of the trial that involves our second defendant, and that's Mr. Moralist. And so let's look here at chapter 2 and... uh, Read uh, verses 1 through 16 tonight. 
Follow along in your copy of God's word as I read chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest dost the same thing, or doest the same thing. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish with without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall judge by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these things, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel." And so in these verses that I've read this evening, Paul turns the spotlight of the Word of God on those who we might call hypocrites. That is, they are people who would condemn the actions listed in the latter part of chapter 1, but who have no intention of getting right with God themselves. These people look right outwardly, but inwardly they are guilty as many of the, of many of the same sins that the wicked are, that are mentioned in chapter one. Now in these verses, the apostle Paul tells us something about the impending judgment of God against sin. And in so doing, he helps us to understand just what the judgment of God is all about. Who's going to be affected by it? And what are the results going to be? And so let's look into these verses this evening and learn a little bit about the character of God's judgment. There are three truths revealed in this passage that will teach us much about the judgment of God in the life of the hypocrite. Notice number one, the reason for God's judgment. We see this in verses one through five. One of the most important functions of the word of God is to show the self-righteous moralist, the hypocrite, that he's a guilty sinner. The Word of God unmasks the superficial show of righteousness. 
Notice, first of all, the sinfulness of the hypocrite in verse 1. The sinfulness of the hypocrite. Just as surely as God's wrath will be revealed against all those guilty of openly sinful and wicked lives, we can be sure that it will also be felt by the hypocrite. We all know what a hypocrite is, don't we? A hypocrite is someone who merely plays a part. They pretend to be someone or something that they are not. God will not hold this kind of person guiltless. Why is that? Well, number one, because of his condemnation. Because of his condemnation. One of the reasons God judges the hypocrite is because the hypocrite assumes the place of God in judging the life and conduct of others. Now, many people say, you know what the Bible says? Judge not, lest you be judged. You've heard that. You've heard people say that. And they use this verse to say that we should never judge anyone ever. Isn't it interesting that the passage in Matthew 7 is one of the best known and yet misapplied scriptures of all? Matthew 7, 1. And we'll take a little side trip here in our study and look at this matter of judging. And the question is, is it right to judge? And that uh, is a question that puzzles many Christians. And yet a careful, open-minded study of the Bible makes it clear that concerning certain vital matters, it's not only right, but it's a positive duty to judge. Many do not know that. I want you to notice here, the Scripture commands us to judge. The Lord Jesus commanded judge righteous judgment in John 7, 4. He told a man, thou hast rightly judged in Luke 7, 43. And to others, our Lord said, why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? Luke 12, 57. Uh, the apostle Paul said, I speak as, a wise, uh, as to wise men, judge ye what I say. 1 Corinthians 10, 15. And again, Paul declared, he that is spiritual judgeth all things. 1 Corinthians 2, 15. So it's our positive duty to judge. Now, again, as I said, one of the most misunderstood and misused scriptures is Matthew chapter 7 and beginning in verse 1, where it says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye, or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite! Thou hypocrite! That's what we're talking about tonight, right? First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt, shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Look at that passage again very carefully. Notice that it's addressed to who? The hypocrite. It's not addressed to those who sincerely want to discern whether a teacher or a teaching is true or false to God's word. Instead of being a prohibition against honest judgment, it's a solemn warning against hypocritical judgment. In fact, the last statement of this scripture commands sincere judgment. Then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Now remember, if we take a verse 
or a part of a verse out of its setting, we can make the Word of God appear to teach the very opposite of what it really does teach. And those who do this cannot escape the judgment of God for twisting His Word. And so let this be a warning to us never to take a text of Scripture out of its context. Now you've heard me say that over and over and over. The context is so important when you study God's Word. You can take one verse out of here. You can build a whole religion out of one verse. And that's dangerous. The reason why or uh, to piously quote, judge not out of its connection, in order to defend that which is false in God's Word, do not see their, people do not see their own inconsistency in thus judging those who would obey God's Word about judging, and that which is, that which is untrue about the Bible. It's tragic that so much of the anti-scriptural has found undeserved shelter behind a misuse of the Scripture just quoted here. And the reason why Christianity today is filled and paralyzed by satanic modernism is because Christians have not obeyed the command of God's word to judge and to put away and to separate from false teachers and false teaching when they first appear in their midst. Physical health is maintained by separation from disease germs. You know, if you want to not get Ebola, (laughs) just stay away from it. And spiritual health is maintained by separation from germs of false doctrine. The greatest peril of our day is not too much judging, but too little judging of spiritual falsehood. God wants His children to be like the noble Bereans who searched the Scriptures daily, whether these things were so. Now, here in Romans chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3, it addresses the religious hypocrite who condemned himself because he was guilty of the same things for which he condemned others. James chapter 4 and verse 11 and 12 refers to an evil spirit of backbiting and fault-finding, not to judging whether teachers or teachings agree or disagree with the Word of God. See, the Bible never contradicts itself. Did you hear me? The Bible does not contradict itself. To understand one portion of Scripture, we must view it in the light of all Scripture. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private or isolated interpretation. It says in 2 Peter 1.20, comparing spiritual things, that is spiritual words, with spiritual in 1 Corinthians chapter 2.13. The best commentary in the Bible is what? The Bible. Not Matthew Henry. He's good. It's not uh, some other uh, commentary. The best commentary is the Bible itself. Now, there are some elements in judgment that we need to be aware of. The New Testament Greek word that is translated, often translated judge or judgment, is the word uh, krino, K-R-I-N-O, is the English pronunciation or uh, spelling of that word. Again, I'm really impressing you with my, all my Greek uh, scholarship here, but 
On the one hand, it means to distinguish, to decide, to determine, to conclude, to try, to think, and to call into question. And that's what God wants His children to do as uh, whether preachers or teachers or their teachings are true or false to His Word. He wants that you to do that for me. He wants you to judge what's coming out of this pulpit. All right? That's right. The Apostle Paul says, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. The wrong idea of love and a lack of knowledge and judgment causes God's people often to approve things that are anything but excellent in God's sight. The epistle to the Hebrews tells us that mature believers, that is, those who are of full age, are those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Hebrews 5.14 Now on the other hand, this Greek word, judge or judgment, means to condemn, to sentence, or to punish. By the way, that's God's prerogative. For he said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Romans 12, 19. And so we're to exercise discernment, but not vengeance. We must not, as the hypocrite, assume the place of God in judging the life and conduct of others. Now the hypocrite, Mr. Moralist, stands condemned before God. God will hold this kind of person guiltless because of his condemnation. But secondly, because of his conduct. What really takes the cake is that the hypocrite looks at another person, he judges him for what they do, but God says that that hypocrite is just as guilty as the person he judges. They may not do the same things outwardly, but sin is still in their hearts. And Jesus made it clear in his preaching that to have sin in your heart was as bad as actually doing the sin. And so we need to be aware that we are never have a hypocritical spirit. So we have the sinfulness of the hypocrite. Secondly, we have the sentence of the hypocrite. We find this in verses 2 and 3. Just as the wicked will be judged by God, so too shall the hypocrite. In fact, the judgment they face will be exactly the same. Notice what Paul tells us about the coming judgment. In verse 2, he talks about the purity of the judge. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Paul is telling us that God's judgment of the hypocrite will be based in the truth of what they are just as surely as his condemnation of those who are openly wicked shall be based on the truth of what they are. We must never forget that while man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. In other words, Paul is saying here, we know that the judgment of God is according to reality. You know, I'm afraid there are many people today, including church members, who live in a world of unreality. They do not want to hear the truth of the word of God. You know, I've talked to pious people who say, oh yeah, I read my Bible every day. But they're not understanding it, nor do they really want to understand it, because the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts and it judges and it condemns and it convicts, and people don't like that kind of reality. 
They don't want to hear the truth. Why? It's because they love their sin more than they love God. God is holy and the judge is pure and he tells it like it is. But notice also the power of the evidence in verse 3. And thinkest thou, O man, that judgest them which do such thing and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? The power of the evidence lies in the fact that it will surely condemn those who are guilty of judging others of the sins that they themselves are guilty of. And the bottom line of all of this is the fact that it isn't the state of one's life that's the issue. It's the state of the heart. You and I can be squeaky clean on the outside. Hey, I dressed up pretty good tonight, didn't I? You know, not look too bad. I mean, I'm a little... A little chubby around the edges, but other than that, I'm, you know, I clean up good. A lot of people clean up good. What's going on in here, though? God knows your heart tonight. Unless we are in a vital, living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we are doomed to face the judgment of God. Many who sit in the pews of the local church and look down their noses at others because of the way they live will someday face the undiluted wrath of God because in their hearts they're just as wicked as the people they condemn. Some are like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. He didn't run off like his younger brother. He didn't live a wicked life. But in his heart... He was just as rebellious as the other son. And in the eyes of God, he was guilty. Notice the words here in verse 3. That thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Someone has said there are four ways of escape that open, are open to man who breaks human laws. His offense will not be discovered. Or he may escape without, beyond the jurisdiction of the court. Or after arrest, there may be some legal technicality that will cause a breakdown in the legal procedure, and so he goes free. Or after conviction, he may escape from prison, and he may stay in hiding. They may never find him. Now those are ways that man can escape human laws. But none of these avenues of escape are open to a man in regard to divine judgment. Your offenses will be discovered. You cannot go beyond God's jurisdiction. With God, there are no legal technicalities. And you will never be able to escape from God's prison. The writer of Hebrews said, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The answer is, there is no escape. And so we see the sinfulness of the hypocrite, the sentence of the hypocrite, Notice thirdly, the shame of the hypocrite. Verses 4 and 5. The shame. These two verses make the reality of the hypocrite's sinful nature crystal clear. There are three facts revealed here that make the reasons for and behind his judgment plain. Number one, he delights in the blessings of God. Verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? The words used here indicate that the hypocrite enjoys the good life. God withholds his judgment and the hypocrite thinks, hey, the goodness of God is an indication that I'm in favor with God. The truth is, God is merely giving the hypocrite every opportunity to repent. 
the hypocrite feels like because he isn't uh, that he is be, uh, that because he isn't guilty at least outwardly of the sins of other men that God will be pleased with his life. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Secondly, he despises the blessings of God. Verse four again, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Because the hypocrite misunderstands the blessings of God, he refuses to repent. It's the very goodness of God that would lead men to love Him, serve Him, seek His a relationship with Him, but not the hypocrite. He sees the goodness of God as a stamp of approval on His conduct, and thereby He despises the blessings of God. Thank God for His long-suffering and His grace. And thirdly, He is damned by the blessings of God. Verse 5, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up Unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. This verse tells us that the hypocrite, instead of gaining favor with God, is actually storing up wrath and judgment against himself. You know, when the Lord and His grace are taken for granted, the only logical outcome will be that of judgment. And just as surely as the wicked sinner will face his sins in the judgment of God, so too shall the secret sinner. All sin will be revealed and judged by God. Hell will be just as full of hypocrites as it will be the open open and blatant sinners. You see, the unsaved person, for the unsaved person, their only hope is in this life. And if you're not going to trust Christ, the best thing... Uh, uh, if they're not going to trust Christ, the best thing they could do is to get all they can while they can. You know, uh, drink it all in. Sin as much as they can because they don't have anything in the next life. There's not going to be any party down there in hell. Well, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's a misconception if there ever was one. The idea of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die is true. But oh, what a terrible price to pay for life of sin and pleasure. And so we have here the reason for God's judgment. The sinfulness of the hypocrite, the sentence of the hypocrite, and the shame of the hypocrite. Secondly, we notice the realities of God's judgment. We see this in verses 6 through 11. Notice, first of all, it is personal. According to verse 6, God's judgment in the life of a person is an individual matter. In other words, every person will be judged according to their own merits. You will not pay for the sins of another. Neither can another man be judged for your sins. God's judgment will be fair and it will be tailored to each individual life. The hypocrite tends to want to lump everyone together and condemn all by judging uh, by his own biased standard. God, on the other hand, judges men based on what he knows about their hearts. And his knowledge uh, of the human heart is thorough. Hebrews 4 and verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Jeremiah 17 and verse 10 uh, says, uh, uh, Jeremiah 17 verse 10 uh, says there that... uh, uh, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways. So it is, 
is a personal thing. But secondly, it's proper. And I have those verses there under the wrong uh, point. They should have gone under the first point. Uh, so uh, my PowerPoints aren't perfect, okay? But, uh, and I did make that mis- mistake, I guess. I have to admit that. But first of all, it's personal. Secondly, it's proper. These verses tell in verses 7 through 10 that the person who lives right and seeks the Lord will uh, be uh, enjoying the blessings of the Lord. While the person who denies God, lives for self, will receive proper judgment. You know, it's impossible to get away from the truth that is the condition of the heart that matters. Men are never saved by their works. However, the traits mentioned here in these verses by the apostle are evidence that the person, persons pointed out in these verses must be a born-again believer. Salvation has always and will always come through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So I believe the hypocrite here uh, very possibly can be uh, a saved person. So it's personal, it's proper, but it's perfect. Verse 11, let's look at verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. The verse simply states that no one receives a special treatment from the Lord. No one need to think that they have liberty to do as they please and still be accepted by God. Everyone will be judged by the same criteria. Jesus Christ and his pers- their personal relationship with Him. No respect, uh, respecter of persons with God. He doesn't single out some for heaven and others for hell. He gives all men the opportunity, and he always does it fairly. Church membership, a good family, being an outstanding citizen, having a fundamental statement of doctrine, doesn't give you any advantage over with God. question is, do you have a Savior? Do you have a Savior? Do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? That is the issue. So we have the reasons for God's judgment. We have the realities of God's judgment. We have, thirdly, the rea- uh, realization of God's judgment in verses 12 through 16. Notice, first of all, it will focus on a rebellion. Verse 12. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law, and as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. God's basis of judgment is sin. All those who sin will pay the price. If they knew the law and they sinned, they'll still be judged. If they knew no law and they sinned, they'll still be judged. According to Ezekiel chapter 18, the soul that sins shall die. The bottom line is pretty clear. God's judgment will be realized by all those who are caught in their sins when they leave this world. That includes every person who has ever or ever will live. There's only one remedy for sin. That's the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it will focus on a rebellion. Notice, uh, secondly, it will focus on a reaction. Someone might be tempted to ask, well, we look at here, verse 13 and uh, through 15, and it talks about, uh, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. 
Someone might say, well, is this fair? What about people who've never been exposed to the Word of God? Will they still be held accountable? The answer is yes. Yes, they will. These verses make it very plain that every man has a conscience. The conscience is not a guide to live by. That's not a very good way to live. Let your conscience be your guide. That's not really a good way to live, okay? But the conscience is a goad, and it tells you the difference between right and wrong. When a person allows his conscience to be his guide by which he lives, he's headed for trouble. But when he listens to his conscience as it points out right and wrong, that person can make some moral decisions. And what Paul is talking about here is the light of God. Every person who is born into this world receives light from God. That light may be bright or it may be dim, but if a person will follow that light, he will be given more light and he will eventually be brought face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly men will be judged according to the light they're given. But to reject a little light is just as damning as to reject a lot of light. However, those of us who have been exposed to much light will face a greater judgment if we are not saved. With this in mind, God is, God is fair for judging the heathen. They are surrounded by the testimony of the existence of God, tells us in Psalm 19. They've been given light. God's judgment is based on man's reaction to that light. And the more light you've been exposed to, the more light you're accountable for. James 1, uh, 3, 1 says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. So it's going to focus on a rebellion. It's going to focus on a reaction. And thirdly, it's going to focus on a reality. Verse 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. There's a day coming when God will judge all men. It will be the day when all the secrets of men will be proclaimed publicly. A day when men will face the reality of what their life was. What will the basis of this judgment be? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Man's eternity will rise or fall on what he did with the gospel of grace. And on that day, it won't matter about one's accomplishments. It won't matter about one's standing in the community or how he's been perceived by others. All that will matter when that day comes is what that person did with Jesus Christ. Did that person receive him or reject him? Did he fall before him in repentance or did he cling to his sins and stubbornly refuse to bow before the Lord? A person's eternity depends totally on what they do with Jesus. What a horrible end awaits anyone and everyone who refuses to come to faith in Christ. And so Mr. Moralist is guilty as charged before God and he too will receive the wrath of God unless he comes to him the only way that he can and not on his terms but on God's terms. The hypocrite, Mr. Moralist, must recognize their sin. They must recognize the penalty, the remedy, and believe on Jesus Christ and receive his free gift of salvation. Now, in our last study, our hearts were stirred to think about those who live in open wickedness before the Lord. 
Shouldn't we be just as stirred tonight by any life that denies the Lord? The end result will be the same. We can be more readily, uh, we can more readily accept the hypocrite than we can the homosexual. But at the heart of the matter, they're the same. They are Christ rejectors, and they're headed for hell. God help us to examine our hearts this evening. Are we genuinely saved? Are we facing the impending uh, judgment of God with nothing more than a hypocrite's heart? We need to check up then and do what we need to do. God help us to see how real, how serious this matter is. I trust as we look at God's word, we'll allow the spirit of God to speak to us and meet our needs. We pr- Let's pray.